got an email that President Nelson and his counselors wanted to meet with us. I pull it up on my phone. I held it there with my mouth open and she's like, what? John S.K. Coway, the third. Specializing in Alzheimer's disease genetics. Over 120 peer-reviewed publications. Our thoughts had progressed from maybe something's going on, maybe it's BYU Hawaii. And then finally it was like, how arrogant for us to even think that. President Nelson explained to us that we've been carefully and prayerfully considered. They would like to ask us to serve as president of BYU Hawaii. As a 40-year-old scientist who's been asked to lead a university and to feel that quiet confidence from them was really powerful. But you live in a time great division what would be yeah. like your out of the gate you're like this is what i would do well that's a really tough question i mean i think that there's a few lessons that we can learn from what's happening at BYU Hawaii. one is that was not how you got worked. your bachelor's degree when you're 19. that's just like you just need a moment of silence for that life is not a race mm. it's not there's no like when i graduated at 19 i didn't get some magical prize if there is a prize in school it's for finishing best not finishing first what's your perspective on balance in your life if you want to feel balanced then you need to have for me that one piece of advice that i give my students is i became the dean of graduate studies and i loved that job i, I mean i was only in it for a year uh, i thought it was going to be you know a 10 plus year uh, opportunity um, i had a lot of fun with it and Shortly after I started the job, like a few weeks after I started the job, Elder Johnson, who was at the time the commissioner of the church educational system, uh, came to BYU and asked to interview all of the deans at BYU. And he, mm. he, he, it was, he was relatively new in his second, his second kind of stint as commissioner and just said, oh, I just want to meet the new, you know, I'm going to meet all the current leadership. And I didn't know this, but at the time he had just started the search for the new president of BYU Hawaii. Wow. Um, and so we had an amazing interview. Uh, I was a new dean, so I had all these ideas like, hey, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I'm like, oh, I get the commissioner. So instead of it being like a personal intro, I went in and I was like, <laughs> I'm thinking about this and this and this. Am I aligned with what you want from graduate studies at BYU? Because BYU is an undergraduate-focused yeah. university. Um, and I got some really good feedback and thought it was an awesome meeting. And that was, you know, that was it. Um, what I didn't know is that he was beginning the search for the new president of BYU Hawaii. Mm. And he, he's shared that that was the, uh, after that interview, he started to feel like, mm. oh, maybe it's this Keone kid, right? <laughs> like maybe, it, maybe it's him. Um, in the meantime, as you mentioned, I've been fortunate to be involved in Alzheimer's disease research for many years. Um, there was a, another university that was recruiting me to leave BYU. Really? And lead a, a big center for neurodegenerative research. It was a very lucrative offer. They brought my, brought my, we took my whole family to the, to the university, spent three or four days interviewing. They made an unofficial offer before I even left. Um, it was substantially more money than I ever dreamed of making. Research endowment, like it was the perfect, wow. the perfect, perfect research, setup. perfect research job. Hmm. And Monica and I came home from that trip, and we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and we said, you know, we're happy in the church educational system. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I told Monica at the time we were talking and I said, well, 
we're not deciding on this job because this is the best job offer we're ever going to get. Like, this is it. Right? You're this like, is, we're doing this. This is like what a, what, re you, yeah. what a research scientist dreams of. So wow. What we're really deciding is, are we going to try to be the director of the Harvard Alzheimer's Disease Research Center someday? Mm. Or, and I actually said this at the time, mm. or president of BYU-Hawaii. I said that. Now, that's interesting. I didn't say it because I thought this would happen. You're just saying that that's what it would lead to. I said it because it was, and then I actually followed it up. I said, well, not BYU Hawaii president, but whatever CES wants us to do. Like, that's what we're deciding. We're going to try mm. to take this elite Alzheimer's disease research leadership role or whatever CES asks us to do. And we prayerfully thought about our lives and our children and our situation and our goals. Mm. And felt very strongly that we needed to just whatever CES asks of us. Like we love our students. We love the mission. Mm. We're just going to stick with what we're doing. We're happy. Before. This is before any mission. We had no, mission ink, of no inkling of this at all. Really? No inkling at all. Wow. So I called this other university and I said, you know, we're really grateful for the visit, the opportunity. It's just not going to work. It's not a good fit. And they immediately like, do you need more money? Do you need more this? Do you need more that? Mm. And I said, no, it's not really something I can explain to you. It's just not a good fit. I hope you find the right person. Um, wow. And we were, we were totally happy. We were like, this is, we're fine. We, you know, we love our life here in Utah. We're close to our families. Everything's good. And so that time, you know, things went on and, I won't get into all the details, but um, we started to have, we had a couple meetings with Elder Johnson mm. and eventually with Elder Holland. Elder Holland. Um, and they were conversations, but no inklings of any particular job offer or calling in the church or anything like that. Just they got to know us and we got to know them. And, and then after one of those meetings, we started to wonder like, well, maybe hmm. they're thinking about something, but we didn't really know what. And we kind of thought about it and did some research and we thought, oh, you know, it could be that they're looking at a change at BYU-Hawaii and maybe we're on the short list for that. And um, we had had a meeting with Elder Holland and Elder Johnson and Monica and I, and, and we started to wonder. Uh, and then I, so I wondered that. And then Time, a couple of weeks went by and, there was, and I started to think, you know, oh, well, they probably had a short list and they went with someone else and that's great because we're happy. We already decided that we're happy with hmm. what we're doing. And I, I love BYU and my research lab and the students we mentor there. And, and then one morning we had got an email from Elder Brooke Hales, hmm. who, who's the assistant to the first presidency. <laughs> telling us that the first president, that President Nelson and his counselors wanted to meet with us. So wait, wait, take me to, take me to that day when you get this email and they're like, have you already been meeting with President Nelson in the first presidency? Oh, no, 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 no. So tell me what that's like to receive an, uh, an email. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, that very, I guess very rarely in my life have I been in that kind of shock where your mouth is just open and you're, so I remember, it, you know, COVID was already kind of rolling at that point. I think the email came on like April mm. 18th or something. Okay. So there was, schools were already shut down. Mm. People were working from home. So I, all of us were at home. Monica was upstairs doing homework with the kids. I was downstairs working on my computer, doing, you know, doing regular work. 
and this email comes through and I pull it up on my phone and I go upstairs and Monica's with the kids and I just kind of, I held it there in front of her to read what, the, and, and I was just with my mouth open and she's like, what? <laughs> and they gave us two different days that we could choose to go meet with the first presidency. And I, I don't know what I was thinking, but the first day we were, I had some other things going on. And so I'm like, oh, we'll just do the second day. And then we start waiting for this meeting and the first day, you know, could have been Monday. And instead we went on Tuesday. I'm like, what was I thinking? I have to wait yeah, 24 yeah. more hours to see what's going on around here. Um, but yeah, I mean, for us, it was, it was this, you know, we had, we had thought and felt mm. like maybe something was going to happen with our professional role in the Prepared. church educational system. Mm. And, and we thought maybe it was BYU Hawaii, um, and then we get this email. I, I didn't say that, but we our thoughts had progressed from maybe something's going on, maybe it's BYU Hawaii, maybe it's a short list that we and they moved on because it's mm. been several mm. weeks. And then finally, it was like, what kind of arrogant jerks are we to think that they would want us to do this? Right? Like we started to feel that way. Like, yeah, yeah. why are we thinking that? Like, who are we? We're just Keone and Monica. Like, we're nothing special. Like, what? how arrogant to, uh, for us to even think that. And it was kind of like a couple of days after we got to that point where we just dismissed the whole thing that we got that email. And but that, and then at that point we thought, well, something, something's going to be happening, right? Some kind they went of, just, right, Hey, what a, do you want to do tomorrow? Yeah. yeah it's not just going to go yeah. hang out with the whole first presidency for nothing. They have, they're busy, they have purpose. Um, and so we went up there and very, it quickly and efficiently, President Nelson explained to us that we've mm. been, you know, carefully and prayerfully considered, uh, and that they would like to ask us to serve as president of BYU Hawaii. Uh, wow! And then he asked us if we would like some time to think about it. And mm. I looked at Monica, and she gave me the nod. I said, "No, we already have. You know, we're." To be honest, I don't remember everything I said. It was yeah, he's like it's a deer in the headlights kind of moment, right? But yeah. we accepted, and he laughed and said, "You know, sometimes the spirit doesn't let us keep secrets." Because I told him we'd already kind of thought about it, and and then I remember I don't remember every word that they shared with us, but I would say what they the message wasn't one of like advice telling you exactly what to do. Hmm. It was really a message of like confidence that mm. Monica and I were the people that needed to be leading BYU Hawaii at this time for this season. Um, and I thought that was really amazing from a professional perspective as well. Mm. You know, I've been in leadership for several years, hired many people over the years. And, you know, every time you hire someone, you have some doubt right? Like, yeah. are they the perfect person <laughs> yeah. for this? Yeah. Should I have hired someone else? Mm -hmm. You know, are they really ready? You, those, those are natural doubts to have in any professional setting. And I thought I left feeling just so amazed at the complete confidence that the whole first presidency and Elder Holland and Elder Johnson had and have that we are equal to this and that the Lord will make us equal to it and that we're the right choice. And I think that's such a, for me, that was really impactful to, to see the difference between hmm. 
you know, making a professional decision about who to hire. Yeah. And feeling that the, that you've, that you know, that this is the right person at the right time to serve in this capacity. And, and so for, uh, for Monica and I, like, I, I mean, like I said, we're nothing special. Like we, well, she is, but like, <laughs> we're just, we're just people and we know that and we work hard and we do our best and we want to be good for the people around us. But it's not like we were walking into that room with our, my CV and saying like, <laughs> Hey, we got this, like yeah. you made the right yeah. choice. Yeah. And, and so to come out of that room and feel this quiet confidence from the first presidency who I sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators, but who also from a secular perspective are some of the most mm-hmm. talented and successful and experienced and wise leaders on the planet. Right? And to come out of, the, out of that room as a 40-year-old scientist who's been asked to lead a university and to feel that quiet confidence from them was really powerful. And it really impacted mm. me. Um, and, and quite frankly, it really increased my faith, right? The, of the confidence they have and the inspiration and revelation that they receive yeah. for the church. You completely turned down this huge opportunity. Do you feel like that was part of the preparation? Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it was, I, it was puzzling how easy it was for us to not take that other opportunity. I think, you know, it, we mm. felt strongly and very peacefully that we just didn't need that, that there was something else. Um, actually, I, I wouldn't say that we even felt like there was something else. It was that what we're doing is where we need to be. Mm. And we trust that we want to be part of what the church educational system is doing for young people and for the future. And we're, we're good. We're cool with that. You know, wow. that was so such a mm. simple feeling. And my colleagues, some of my good friends that are in the Alzheimer's world are like, are you serious? You're man? crazy. Like, what are yeah. you doing? Yeah. <laughs> like, you could double your salary tomorrow, mm. right? Like, what are you doing? And, and for us, it was very simple and we had no, no, it's not like it's this thing where like, well, I felt like yeah, the yeah, church yeah. was going to use me in some special, amazing, yeah. it wasn't that. It was just this very comfortable we're happy with what we're doing. We love the church educational system. We love BYU. We're going to just roll with this. We're good. Mm. We're happy. We're going to wow. we're going to see where it goes. And so it was shocking for where it goes to be a few months later being asked. It was on April 28th that we sat down with the first presidency. You know, and I think we turned down the job in October of 2019. So it was shocking for that Interesting. to happen so quickly. Hmm. Um, but we were so excited uh, to do to do this. And there's so many reasons. I mean, you know, for me, there's so many layers of my ancestry, my, my, dis- my ancestors that are tied to the founding of Laie. It's a smaller university, but yeah. you have 70 countries represented around the world, yeah. right? So tell me what that's like as a, as a president of a university that has so many differences and how do you really, what's it like to try to unify that uh, in general? I mean, first of all, our students are just amazing people across the board. They, they come to BYU Hawaii with faith, with a desire to both kind of perpetuate their own cultures and also to learn about and celebrate and love others. So 
for the most part, you, I mean, you basically just stay out of the way mm. and enjoy seeing what some of the most stalwart young Latter-day Saints in the world do to be an example of intercultural peace. I mean, that, that's most of it. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so, you know, for us, there's a great joy because we have the opportunity to meet students from all over the world, to, to, to hear their hopes, their dreams, to try to support their efforts. Um, there's some really fun things like Monica will, when she meets students from different countries, she'll kind of say like, Hey, you know, uh, next week at three o'clock, come over to my house. We'll take you to the grocery store, buy whatever we need to, to make the foods you've been missing. That's amazing. And then we'll come home and we'll cook together and we'll eat together. And, and so mm. like, it was just a few, probably a few months ago because summer has been crazy. Right. But a few months ago she brought over, uh, you know, we, we had several students from the Philippines and we cooked some amazing food from the Philippines and ate together and, you know, and listened to their stories about their family and their background. And, um, and then a few weeks after that, we had some students from Thailand that came over and did the same thing. And they cooked, I don't know, like four or five different dishes so this and is how often every week, once a week? As often as we can. As often as you you can. know, we're super busy with five kids yeah, and yeah, school. Yeah, yeah. And That's amazing though. The homework. fact that you even do that is amazing. But we, it's so fun to be able to experience that. And then this summer, we had the opportunity to travel to Mongolia. Hmm. And we were involved in a couple different church events celebrating the 30th anniversary of the church in Mongolia. Wow. And... The, and the the opportunity our you know we we have many friends that are students at BYU Hawaii that are Mongolian and they are great leaders and great examples and they share their culture in really amazing ways and then for us to be able to go to Mongolia and meet their parents mm. and their church leaders and spend time in their in their cities and in their countryside and really experiencing it was it's you know such a blessing to get to know who they are from their home and see who they are far from home in the second language, the way that they lead, the way that they honor their heritage. And we get, wow. to, we get to do that for so many students from so many places. I, I told you maybe before we started rolling the cameras, like we're spoiled, this job, it's hard, right? But like the, the opportunities we have to meet amazing students from all over the world, to be part of their lives, to build, help them build a foundation for their future, to experience their cultures. And like, it's amazing. Wow. We're so spoiled. So on the way home from Mongolia, we had that amazing experience there. On the way home, we stopped in Seoul, Korea for just, because that was the layover, but we stayed an extra night or two. Mm. And we had this amazing opportunity. One of my faculty, his name's PJ Rogers, give him a shout out. He, he, he went above and beyond. And he kind of set up some options for us to see parts of, of Korea and meet with some members and some business people to look at internships for our students and things like that. But one of the things that happened is there were there was a married, a young married couple that are both students at BYU Hawaii. And they were home for vacation. Mm. And they took three days of their time and spent the entire time with Monica and I. Are you serious? And it was so awesome because we got to see, we got to be with them, talk to them, learn about them personally at, while we experienced their their home hometown. Wow. 
with them. And mm. it, like I said, just for us, it's such a rich experience. And we had an amazing opportunity a few, maybe last year. Um, uh, on a, a new friend of mine, her name is Callianne Barnett. I don't know if you've ever met Callianne. Yeah. She's so from, awesome. Uh, I saw she's her from her video. She's from Florida. I'm from Florida. Yeah. So she's the designer from Dwayne Wade, for, right? Yeah. For, and for the jazz now. And for the jazz, does. yeah. But she actually came to La EA for, she did. for some things. And through our mutual friends, um, we were able to connect with her a little bit and help her uh, and her husband mm. see BYU Hawaii. And it was really fun because at, after we had that experience, we were able to talk with Kellyanne and she's like, you know, hmm. where else can you experience the global church mm. all at once? Like there, and you can come to BYU Hawaii and the Polynesian Cultural Center, mm. and you actually get this glimpse into just how global the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is, wow. and how universal the gospel is at blessing people's lives. And you know, we get to be at this special place that showcases that in such a meaningful way. And so it, that's kind of, I don't know how I got to that part, but like, no, that's the impact. It was really it cool to see Kalyan, a recent convert to the church, spend some time on our campus and at the Polynesian Cultural Center and feel that, that global nature of the church, the fact that it does unite everyone wow. across cultures, across distance, the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring us together when, when we focus on that and do it that way. So. So unity, unity is important. It just makes me think of uh, of Enoch, the city of Enoch, you know how they were of one heart and one mind, um, and how how important that is. It almost is, it almost would feel very heavenly to be it can in a place. What I mean is <laughs> that's what heaven will be like. I don't yeah. think heaven's going to be like these type of this culture over there, this culture over there. It's almost like this this uh, eclectic. Yeah, none of that connection. will matter. We'll be together. Nobody but we'll will still, care. I, yeah. But I think we'll still be able to celebrate the diverse and unique experiences that we have and that make us who we are. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of what's happening on our campus. And you'll find, I mean, this is not a commercial for BYU Hawaii. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're a small university and we can't, I mean, there's only 3000 students. So lots of people apply and we can't give everyone a spot. It's really, it's heartbreaking, but someday you'll get a chance to step foot on our campus. And just like everyone else who comes to our campus, you'll feel something powerful and different and you'll and you'll be kind of surprised. Like, whoa, how can it feel like this? How can it be so powerful? And hmm. it's a consistent feeling. Hmm. And hmm. even people who, if you come and experience campus and then you leave, it'll still surprise you and you come back a few years later, like, whoa, I forgot how, how powerful the spirit is here. Wow. And we, it happens all the time. We just had an event on campus. We hosted what's called Keiki Hula, mm. which is a, well, it's basically the largest children's hula festival in the world. Mm. And you have all, you know, the kids from all these hula schools, we call them halaos, but the kids from all these hula schools come. They have individual and group performances. We had thousands of people on our campus. And the consistent comment was it's the first time it's ever been or first time it's been held on our campus in many, many years. And the cons consistent comment from the visitors was, I, we love having this event here. There's a spirit here. Wow. We feel a power here. 
like we want it to be here again because it feels so good here and mm. and we try to tell them like that's the reason it feels that way is covenant keeping the gospel mm. of Jesus Christ mm. like there's a there that Zion that you're talking about with the city of Enoch that feeling like that's our goal and you can feel it when you come to our campus and mm. and we love that but the thing that unites us is Jesus Christ is the covenant that you that you're saying that we yeah. have with him and I really think that that's what we need, right? I mean, because you'd mentioned before, like you're trying to do what the whole world has tried to do since the existence of the whole world. <laughs> you or know? should be trying to do it. Should least. be trying yeah. to do, right? Yeah. So with your experience that you have there, what would, what would be something that you would think would that could really be helpful to us here? Because I feel like now we do live in a time of great division. Yeah. What would be like your out of the gate? You're like, this is what I would do. Yeah. Well, that's a really tough question. Right. I mean, you mentioned Elder Christofferson and some of the, and there's been several uh, talks from our apostles recently about this concept of covenant belonging, right? Because the whole world yeah. is seeking that feeling oh, yeah. of belonging, connection, and be, you know, and and I know I've seen it that we when we have these covenants with God, it creates a belonging with each other, no matter what the differences are. So certainly that's a powerful, powerful thing. You know, more broadly, like, what's the solution? I mean, I think that there's a few lessons that we can learn from what's happening at BYU Hawaii. One is, you know, in any organization to really just openly value and celebrate the diverse the diverse perspectives and cultures and languages of the group that, that you're in, right? To celebrate. It's, you know, just really appreciate what's good and what people want to share about themselves and their culture. Um, and that can be complicated because you don't, you know, in, in more diverse populations, yeah. when you don't have covenant belonging as the foundation of your yeah. organization, yeah. you might not always agree with everything that everybody yeah. else wants to share. Yeah. Right. And that's, and president Nelson has recently taught us about like, Hey, if you don't agree, here's how to disagree. Mm -hmm. and, but I think we can actually practice that even in much in, in, in organizations that don't share that covenant belonging concept, we can still practice some of those features of like really getting to know, getting and, and appreciate what's good and interesting and different about others. I think conceptually for me, it's always, it's been pretty simple. Like hmm. proximity creates hmm. a lot of unity, right? Like hmm. if you, if you Take just find ways, if you just yeah. find ways to, to yeah. sit with people and listen to them and love them and understand them and for them to understand you. You can be really different and really even disagree on yeah. a lot of things yeah. and still have a mutual love and respect for each other. And I, I have that with many people. Um, you know, my professional relationships, very few of my professional collaborators are uh, Latter-day Saints, right? Mm. Almost none, right? Um, they know who I am on a personal level, um, no matter how they feel about God or the church and its doctrines, um, no matter how they feel about social issues, we have that proximity, right? We're, yeah. we know each other and they, a real we know person. our hearts yeah. and they can understand that I might disagree with them on certain things, but that at our core, we love each other and we're here for each other and those differences can be kind of overlooked or put by the wayside in in you know when needed and when necessary. So for me that that proximity and that's what 
is so important about BYU Hawaii. Like education is going global and online in a lot of ways. Mm, that's right? right. That's right. And so why would we have a university where we gather people at great expense from all over the world and put them together? Mm. And I would argue that, you know, mm. again, President David O. McKay told us that this university is about intercultural peace, mm. showing the world that it can be done, right? Showing the world how the gospel unites us. So that proximity is so important, right? Mm. If you are an amazing student from Alpine, Utah, and you really, really want to understand the global church, and you really want to love and understand different cultures and be equipped to converse across those gaps. Are you going to do that from Utah? It's probably going to be really difficult. If you're that same amazing student from Mongolia mm. and you want to experience the global church, are you going to do that from Mongolia? Mm. Right. So there's something special about BYU-Hawaii and the way that it prioritizes that proximity. Mm. Right where your roommates, if you have eight, if you have seven roommates, they're going to be from that's some, that's really cool. Seven different countries, right? That's amazing. And when they put food in the microwave, it's going <laughs> to smell funny to you, <laughs> right? And when they speak to their friends, it's going to be in a different language sometimes. Mm. And sometimes when they speak English to you, you won't understand their accent. But all of that changes with proximity, mm. right? You can start to bridge those gaps really, really quickly. Um, mm. And so maybe that's another layer is just being really intentional about bridging the physical gaps between us so that we can talk to each other like you and I are right now yeah. and know each other's hearts and be able to overlook the differences that we, might, that we might have because we understand no matter what those differences are, you know, I know Stephen's heart and I know it's going to be yeah. fine yeah. And that we, that we can have a relationship mm even through those differences. And I, yeah. I think that's something, you know, with COVID, with the internet, the way our lives have become so isolated, maybe part of that division that we're experiencing is because we lack proximity. that physical proximity. That's interesting. I think somebody said this earlier this week. They said real trust comes from not information, but experiences. Yeah. You can, I can know Same everything concept. about you. Yeah. I can read everything about you. But then experience together, that's really what increases the trust. Yep. Like, I mean, to, the, to, a, to a higher level. So proximity is a big deal. Covenants. I think that that was interesting that you mentioned that. The idea that we can be united in our covenant that we have to each other that exceeds everything that's political, that's, 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 not even, that's not even the main focus. But if we can unite in our covenants, if we can get more close in proximity, literally, that can that can help bridge things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and your 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 background is interesting too. I mean, you both of your parents um, come from different cultures. Yes. So you've experienced that as a child. How did you navigate that even as a child? My parents were a great example of that, and my mom's family, you know, are amazing. Uh, and my my pioneer heritage from the Kings and the Merrill side are, is just as storied and and inspiring as my Hawaiian pioneer heritage and. I grew up experiencing those stories too. Um, and, you know, they, they definitely face some of the complexities of race and intercultural relationships, uh, just like anybody would. Um, and, you know, for me growing up, it was interesting. I lived back and forth between Utah and Hawaii. And 
I had experiences probably similar to the experiences you yeah. had growing up where it's like, I've been in situations where I felt where I know I was treated differently because I was too brown. Mm -hmm. And I've been in situations where I know I was treated differently because I was too white. <laughs> yeah. You can't win. And I suspect yeah, you've had yeah, similar I have, experiences. I have, I have, right? yeah. And that's hard for yeah. people to wrap their minds yeah. around sometimes. I understand exactly what you're saying when you say it, like, what's understood and need to be explained. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I think that's something that really, mm. in retrospect, you know, those experiences have prepared me for some of the complexities that we face at BYU Hawaii. That's really interesting. The challenges that we're trying to take on, um, the understanding of mm. how how a mm. a student of any skin color could feel that they don't belong mm. in a certain circumstance, right? Yeah. And being able to have empathy for them yeah. and realize like, yeah, you might come from California or Arizona to BYU Hawaii and feel like, you aren't being accepted or you don't fit mm. in. Like that's mm. a real feeling that mm -hmm. someone could really have. And I get that. Right. And so mm. I think it, it's that growing up with that, seeing my parents, it, you know, putting cultures together, um, seeing both of them be really great examples of that. I mean, there were some things about Hawaiian culture um, that are very different from standard American European culture and some and I and I watched my mom be really amazing and gracious and accepting those differences and some things like yeah and some things that my dad sacrifices he made right to to learn and value different cultures and so I think I've been blessed by those experiences even though sometimes it's hard right it's hard yeah, to feel yeah and but again I love the empathy that I'm able to have for people that are, you know, feeling differences in belonging, regardless of what skin color they have or what culture they come from, that I can, yeah, I can understand yeah. that. So I just want to clarify though too, because I think like I feel like anytime this topic is addressed, it's like almost like it can be turned so political, which is completely not even the case of what we're even doing. You yeah, know? yeah. It's just the re the reality though that I like that you that I like that you mentioned is that it, it almost you didn't say this word specifically, but it's almost the uh, the intentionalness of it. Like, do you have to really want to learn about other people? You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and yeah. that and again back to that proximity, prox uh, of uh, but being intentional about it, like not to just the empathy that it takes to to learn of what about someone else, regardless of race or anything. Yeah. Just who they are as a real person, right? Yeah. That um, that's that's way different, and it's cool that you've had that experience going, you know, with the different uh, cultures that you grew up in that you just naturally had to do it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. agree with you. Like, you don't, this, when people talk about this intercultural unity that we're yeah. talking about and that intercultural piece, it can yeah. get politicized. Yeah. And that's not, that's, you know, not, this that's not where we're going. What I'm saying is yeah. that I want every one of my students to experience covenant belonging through the gospel mm. of Jesus Christ. I, covenant belonging. And I understand uh that no matter what background they come from, when they come to a place that is as diverse as BYU-Hawaii, there's the potential for them to not feel like they belong, right? Mm. And, and, I, and, I, and I just wanted to express that like, my life experience has given me empathy mm. for all of the political extremes of that conversation, right? Yeah. But for me, it has nothing to do with that political perspective. It's really, we need to have a campus where 
students from every part of the world, every walk of life, come and show the world that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be unified and we can celebrate the differences that we have and the uniqueness that we have while being together in Christ. Wow. So, yeah. That's really important. It's so important. And when Jesus comes again, we'll live with him. Yeah. And together. We'll be, we'll, and Do that's you know what the I plan. mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think anybody's going to talk about all of this. No. We'll just be like, we'll be centered on him. That's the reason why we're doing what yeah. we're doing. When we serve each other, we're serving him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And on our campus, we get a little taste of that. And it's pretty cool. That's so cool. So yeah. this is a change of subject a little bit. I yeah, mean, you were 19 years old when you received your mission call, but you were 19 years old when you were graduating college. Am I right? Yeah, that's true. It's interesting to see how God has prepared you, not only in this way of of kind of being a bridge uh, with these different, uh, you know, uh, cultures, right? Right. But even just, just the grind and just the, just the drive you're 39 years old when you become the president or the, or the, the, dean. the dean of the graduate studies. 40, at pre 40 for president. 40 for the president. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. So I'm just curious, what's your perspective on balance in your life? Yeah. So I guess a couple questions, couple answers to that. So the first is, you know, there was not a whole lot of intent. Like <laughs> I didn't wake up when I was 12 and talk with my parents and game plan on how to get my bachelor's degree when I turned 19 and that kind of stuff. Like that was not how you it got worked. your bachelor's degree when you were nineteen. That's just like you just need a moment of silence for that. Yeah, <laughs> no. that's, so that's it insane. was really cool though. Like I so I turned I turned nineteen on April tenth, and I I graduated officially on the twenty fourth was commencement, and I got my mission call that same day. Wow! Right? So it was like it was really cool. But again, there was no. It wasn't a game plan, right? Just, I didn't sit down with my parents and say like, okay, how are we going to knock this out fast? And I need to skip lots mm. of grades. None of that happened. It was just this is what it was. circumstances. I won't get into all the details, but just circumstances starting with third grade. That mm. None of it was designed. It just kind of unfolded that way. So, you know, that being said, like, yeah, I, I like to work hard. Um, I loved school even when I was little. I had teachers that invested in me and who expected much more of me than I expected from myself and mm. taught me that I had capacity to to do more and to hold myself to a higher standard. Um, I, I say that Macy Sakaguchi was my first grade teacher. Mm. And she, I still have a relationship with her. I love her and her husband dearly. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm able to talk with them, meet them for dinner every once in a while, and she just straight up. I still remember turning in an assignment, and I got all the answers right, but my handwriting was bad. <laughs> and she gave it back to me. It and was like, do this again. You can, you can be better. You know, you can mm. be better. And and when I would finish my work and mess around and distract everybody, she, even though I was a straight A awesome student. She's like, you know what? You don't need to, you know, she, she helped me to a high standard. So I had those kinds of teachers and mentors along the way, but there was no design for this to go fast. Like I wasn't trying to race anybody. It was just the circumstances aligned that way. Um, but I did work hard. You know, I got to BYU. I was 16. 
Um, and I looked at the situation like, well, mm. I could go to school every single spring and summer and take a full load every single semester and plan everything out perfectly and graduate before I go to my mission or come home from my mission and have like two or three semesters left mm. and try to like remember everything that I forgot while I was on my mission. Mm. And I just decided, oh, you know, I can do this. It's going to be tough, mm. but I That's can pretty, do it. It's pretty and impressive for a 16 year old so to think that way. I went for it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that kind of happened, but you're right. I mean, the timing set up for me to have these kind of opportunities to be prepared at this very moment to, to jump into BYU Hawaii at a time when, you know, it really helped for a scientist to be running the show during COVID at a, at a, in a place where public health was a really important priority and the government relationships were very complex. And so there were a lot of, mm. you know, the timing, it, it made sense that mm. for whatever reason, my life lined up that way. Um, so that's part of the answer. The rest of your question was yeah. balance, right? Yeah, just balance, just yeah. just having that drive, but then also having the balance. And so balance is something where, it, I mean, it probably doesn't sound like it's possible, but like I I did my graduate and my undergraduate degree in three years from ages 16 to 19. I had a good time. Hmm. Like I played a lot of volleyball. I went to concerts. I did a lot of fishing. I had a lot of great friends. Like I wasn't this like, you know, I had, yeah. I had a whole life that I enjoyed and had a really good time with. And even though I've done a lot of things fast, that's been the case. Right. And mm. so for me, that's really important. And I, even when I was at BYU mentoring students and teaching introductory biology courses, this, the people would find out about my timelines or they'd be like, you know, Professor Kawa, you're 28. Like, yeah. what's what's going on? <laughs> like, and some of them were probably 28. Like the first time I taught a class at BYU, I was 28 years old, which wow, there's probably wow. people that have done it younger, but still they're like, it's pretty, that's mm. kind of weird, right? Like, what's going on? I would tell them and I would be so cautious and like, this is, life is not a race. Mm. It's not. There's no, like when I graduated at 19, I didn't get some magical prize. Like here's a free high paying job because you're 19. Nobody cares. Right. Yeah. So I try to help my students understand like school yeah. is not a race. Life is not a race. You know, if there is a prize in school, it's for finishing best, not finishing first. Mm. Right. Like mm. it's what, what you learn, the experiences you have. Like if you're talking about it from an employment perspective, your employers don't care that you're two years younger than everyone else. Mm. They want to see what can you do? Mm. What experiences have you had that will make you more productive, more skillful, more valuable in this job? And those things take time. So as fast as I finish some things, you still need time, right? To have experiences, to mm. learn, mm. to to understand how things work. So, so that being said, like that balance isn't, important to me. And I try to encourage people to understand that, again, life is not a race. You want to have the right experiences for the right amounts of time to prepare yourself. And that doesn't always mean faster is better. Mm. Um, you, I, in my experience, I helped a lot of people prepare for medical school, mm. right? And the average, you know, there's a, there's a reputation and a stereotype for a med school applicant at BYU. Maybe yeah. you've experienced that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And they're driven and they get straight yeah, A's and yeah, they want to yeah. do everything the fastest and the best. And um, and those are all great things. But 
when it comes down to it and I, and I mentor those students that are applying for medical school, I tell them like, that's all good, but you also need to have your clinical experiences and your research experiences and they need to be substantial so that when you walk into a med school interview, you have something meaningful to talk about. Not, I did this many hours. Yeah. You need to have but like variety. I had a real experience yeah. and I can tell yeah. you what I did and why and what I learned. And mm. So there's balance from that perspective of understanding that life isn't a race. Things take time and you have to be patient enough to kind of allow life to teach you along the way. And then there's also the balance that we normally talk about where it's like, how do I balance my family life? Mm. Um, how do, you know, for my students, it's often how do I balance like dating and social life with getting good grades, with with taking care of my family that's back home and honoring them and with working so I can fulfill all my work study obligations or just pay for school. Like there's a lot to balance when you're young and you're like, how do I do all of this at once? And I've thought about it a lot and I'm trying to figure out like, how do I help my students kind of understand how to balance your life? Um, and Elder Bednar is pretty uh, direct about balance, right? He yeah. says, balance is bogus. Yeah, Have it you doesn't heard, exist. If you see yeah, that? Like, yeah, it's that. a false concept. It's bo yeah. I think he says balance is bogus. And he's he's given that talk several times in different contexts. And then he goes on to say, like, you can't ever have perfect balance of everything all at once. Mm -mm. Because and he, he talks about because we're here talking right now, there's some other thing that I'm not doing that's also good mm -hmm. that I could be doing, mm -hmm. right? And that's totally true. So for me, I've, as I've thought about it, I've come up with a, a bike analogy that I think is helpful. Mm. Um, so I served my mission in Japan mm. and I was on a bike all the time, right? And I, I had a blast. And, and most Japanese, you know, most missionaries that are serving in Japan are on bikes all the time. And you get really good on that bike. Like <laughs> so good that I think sometimes you could even fall asleep while you're riding your bike. Like you're just mm. on it all the time. And one of the things that we would do often as missionaries is we would, if you get stuck at a stop sign or a crosswalk or something, instead of getting off your bike, you just balance mm. in one place. Yes, right, right? You right. hit the brakes yeah, and yeah. you just try to balance. Yeah. No matter how good you are, that gets difficult, right? Mm. You can't do it forever. Mm -hmm. And you have to like really focus and you move the handlebars and you move the pedals and you really, mm. and balance is like so much work because mm. you're not going anywhere. Mm. You don't have a direction. You don't have momentum, momentum, right? And you think about President Nelson recently taught us about spiritual momentum yeah. and how important it is. And I think that concept applies across our lives. If you want balance in your life, if you want to feel balanced, then you need to have a direction mm. and momentum. And if you have a direction and momentum, if you have a, a plan or a roadmap and you have momentum, then there are going to be times when you're leaning left and times when you're leaning right, times when you have to slow down, times when you have to stop and fight to get balance, times when you stop and take a break, times when you like put the heat on and go full speed ahead. Like, mm. but it's all about, and it, so that fits with what Elder Bednar has taught us about balance being bogus, because when you have a direction and you have momentum, you are going to, you're going to do different things at different times, but you know which direction you're going and the balance becomes 
natural, right? Mm. You, you have an understanding that right now I have to lean left and that's technically not balanced. Ah. But because of the direction I'm going yeah. and the momentum I have, it's okay. And in the next little while I might lean right. And that's okay too. And over time, yeah, yeah. it's going to be all right because I know where I'm going and I have momentum. And so I try ah. to help my students understand like, yeah, do I go surfing like five times a week? If there's waves, yes, I do. Right. <laughs> like, and that's so important to my life. And when I'm surfing, I'm not doing lots of other things. Right. And no analogy is perfect. And then you think about like, there are times when we're stuck at that stoplight and we're trying to balance and we can't. Yeah, and we hit yeah. the ground and we're, our feet are on the ground, like we're not moving. And so those are those moments where it's like, okay, like point the bike the direction you need to go, take the rest you need to take, get your feet on the pedals. If you need someone to push you a little bit, we'll figure that out, right? Like, you know, point the right direction and start to build that momentum again. And that happens, hmm. right? Hmm. And in today's world with, I mean, so many people are struggling with mental illness, yeah. with not feeling like they belong, right? Feeling lonely, all those things. And a lot of that, you know, that is going to impact the way you feel about your momentum, your direction, and your balance. And mm. so we, you know, that's, that's a situation where those of us are, you know, all of us collectively need to pay attention to the people around us. And so mm. like, if you're not feeling balanced, then how can I help you find the direction you want to go and start? to build some momentum. And I mean, think, you know, again, no analogy is perfect and I'm taking it way too far, but you know, I've taught five kids how to ride bikes and what's the key momentum. You give them momentum yeah, and you give them confidence that if they keep that momentum going, they'll be able to do it. Right. You've taught some kids how yeah, to ride bikes yeah, too. Yeah. And that's the key. Right. So I love the idea that I could, cause I used to tell my students like, and, and the people I was teaching, like, oh, you know, balance is from momentum. And once you have momentum, balance is easy. But then Elder Bednar is teaching and he's someone, you know, he's amazing. And he's saying balance is bogus. I'm like, okay, like, what am I saying that's not aligned with him if, yeah. if balance is bogus? And I realize like, okay, it's because you don't ever have just perfect balance. It's a dynamic process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's only, that dynamic process only works if you have direction and momentum, then yeah. it becomes natural. And so you see like those, you know, and then you take this analogy even further and you think about the road bikers and the Tour de France and the BMX bikers and all the things you can do when you have mastered that concept of momentum and balance together. Mm. And that's when you see people like President Nelson, yeah. Elder Bednar, all these amazing people that aren't, apostles and, and general authorities, like all around you, the people that are elite in their professional lives and their, or they're elite in sports or whatever, like you see them and you're like, Oh, what, you know, they don't have perfect balance. They have direction and yeah. momentum and they adjust that balance all along the way. And yeah. that's how you see it. So for me, like you, you'll see that I have, I have, I try to keep some social media going even though I understand a lot of the pitfalls of that, it's because I want my students to be able to see a little glimpse into our lives and understand, mm. yeah, I go surfing. Yeah. And I take my kids to go do fun things. And, but I'll, and I also travel a lot for work and it's rough. But while I'm traveling, 
I try to do some cool stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want them to see that you can kind of have, I mean, I don't think anyone would ever question that I have a purpose and a direction and that I work really hard within my stewardship. But along the way, you know, there's yeah. a little bit, yeah, there <laughs> there's a little bit going on and you can find that balance. And I, I want my students to see that. I want everyone to feel that. And it's been fun for me to try to understand and reconcile Elder Bednard's teaching about balance with this feeling I've had about momentum and direction. And so hopefully that makes some sense. That makes, that makes perfect sense yeah. to me. It, it makes me realize that even like, you know, I was working on my master's program and it just busy, busy, but like we knew we committed to it. We decided that's what we were going to do, but we also were intentional about the other things. And so we made sure that all of those pieces were a part of it. So there used to be Saturdays where like I'd be doing homework most of the day, but I would also intentionally be like all in whenever I'm with my kids, wherever I'm at, you yeah. know? And for that season, yeah. yeah. For that, for that, for that season, season. Yeah. you were leaning right. Yeah. Yeah. But see, you know, it's not going to last forever. And then the next yeah. curve is going to be a different direction yeah. and you're going to, yeah. you know, things will change. And, and that, again, it's that combination of patience and understanding that those kind of transient kind of imbalances are what life is, right? You're going to yeah. deal yeah. with that. Yeah. And then ultimately I just want, my students to understand like you should be happy all along the way no matter what that mix is at the moment like it's finals week yeah you're not doing anything else except studying for finals and that doesn't feel balanced as all, at all because it's not but you're going to have you know it's going to ebb and flow and you're going to have those opportunities so that's mm. kind of the way you know, as great. i think about my life because right now i'm juggling a lot of professional responsibilities we have, Monica and I, right, we have five kids, ages 16 to five. They go to two different schools. They have so many things going on. I travel all the time. You know, there's a lot to juggle, but we know what our purpose is. We, we know that we need to keep that momentum going and we have a good time along the way. So That's great. And the quality. When you're with your kids, they, it's, it's, you're there with your kids. I, I mean, I try. I think there's always no, room, there's room for improvement. No, it's not easy to do, but <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like- There's a, a lot, lot of, of room for improvement, but uh, yeah. Uh, you know, it's hard to, it, it's something that I think is on, I've, as a as a father, I know, uh, it's always on the back of my mind, you know, and there's always things that I think that I could do to improve, but yeah. the overall principle is is what I feel like is important to realize. I mean, we try to do it the best we can. I'm curious though, President Holland, he's- experiencing some really challenging moments in his life, yeah. both with the loss of his wife and even with some health challenges. What was it like meeting with him? I just, just Could you give us a little glimpse of that, yeah. of your interactions with Elder Holland? I mean, Elder Holland, as we all know, is just an incredible person. Um, so smart, so committed to serving others. Um, Sister Holland as well, right? They, they, they are one. Right? Yeah. Together, they've served so many people, and particularly in the church educational system. Um, so for us, I mean, it's been an incredible blessing to learn from that example. Um, I think for me, the things that, as I think about my relationship with him, and Monica and I, and our relationship with him, it's I, I kind of touched on this earlier. It's it's that the trust and confidence that he placed in mm. us. You know, that we, we, we felt so much love because he could look at us and see past all of our weaknesses and imperfections and say, mm. like, I, I know you guys can do this work. I know you can serve this, 
the students of BYU Hawaii, the countries that it's been asked to have stewardship over. Like, so it was, it was, it's been amazing throughout the, the couple of years of interactions with him to experience that love and confidence that he's had in us. Um, and, and then also, I think for me, the Elder Holland and even more broadly, I, I don't think that most of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints understand the level of sacrifice mm. that's being made by Elder Holland and his family or the other apostles or, or our general authorities. Mm. Um, they, they sacrifice all of their time, all of their energy, their privacy, right? Mm. They, they serve, I mean, the hours that they work mm. and the time when they're not technically working that they're using to prepare to be, you know, personally worthy and, and equal to the, the needs of the people that they've been asked to have stewardship over. It's hard to comprehend. And mm. so for me, it's been amazing these last few years to have some opportunities to have a glimpse into the type of sacrifice that they're making to testify of Jesus Christ, to serve the world. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, and it's been, for me, just really humbling to see that and to, to get to know them on a personal level and to know their sense of humor and their things they prefer or don't prefer and all that and to, to know how human they are. Yeah. But then to also have so many experiences where they are clearly prophets, seers, and revelators and providing direction that is clearly coming from God with the confirmation of the Spirit. It's been a really amazing experience, again, with Elder Holland and all of our church leadership to see the juxtaposition of humanity and, yeah, and yeah. revelation and, and yeah. prophetic mantle. Uh, it's really powerful and it's really built my testimony of the restored gospel, right? To see, mm. I know that President Nelson is the prophet. I know that he receives revelation on behalf of the church from Jesus Christ. I know that he is a special testimony of Jesus Christ and a special witness of him. And I also know that he's a human. Yeah, of course <laughs> and, a, he is. and a regular wonderful grandfather, but you know, it's it's just been a really cool experience for me to have that opportunity and you know, I think my I didn't grow up in a family where my dad was a mission president or yeah, even or yeah. even a bishop or anything like that. Yeah. I don't I didn't have these experiences growing up seeing those kind of circumstances, you know, seeing general authorities or apostles or in my life or anything like that. So as a 40-year-old who I mean I served as a bishop previously and things like that and I but I didn't re I personally until like 6 months into my job as president of BYU Hawaii had no concept of the level of sacrifice and consecration that those families it's not just the men who've been called into them that they're that the those families are making to to be special witnesses of Jesus Christ wow. so that's been i know that's not super specific to just elder holland but that's okay it's something mm. that's been really amazing as i've as i've interacted with them and learned from them and been led by them in a different way what would you say mentor wise cuz i feel like you kind of led to that to a degree 
of having them as mentors. Who are some other mentors besides your father that yeah. you'd say? So I definitely, I mean, like my parents are absolutely amazing people. And my dad didn't have, you know, church leadership positions, but he changed the lives of everyone who met him. He was, he embodied that Hawaiian concept of aloha and his generosity and his kindness and his capacity to forgive mm. is unmatched. I mean, just absolutely amazing. Um, but, you know, within the church leadership, I mean, certainly Elder Holland, the people that I've worked the most closely with, right, or Elder Gilbert mm. in these last couple of years and Elder Johnson before that. And then particularly with Elder Gilbert, it's been amazing because I've, you know, he was called as a general authority from being the president of BYU Pathway Worldwide. That's right. So he was my colleague mm. for that first year as the president. And then I've been able to watch him and Christine and their family make a different level of sacrifice and consecration mm. to serve as a General Authority 70 and as commissioner of the church educational system. And it's been truly amazing to see them joyfully make sacrifices of their time and their energy, changing their living situation to be yeah, prepared really. to serve in that way. So I think that's been a really cool example to yeah. see. And, and, you know, for me, that's the most kind of like immediate one that I, that I think of in yeah. terms of that example. Um, and Elder Gilbert, I mean, he's so, so focused and dedicated to serving in the church educational system and making sure that it does what it's supposed to do to serve the, the, the young adults of the church and give them opportunities to grow spiritually and intellectually. So it's been really fun to see that example um, and try to, and learn from it. Right. I get to learn from him. He's a, he, he left Harvard business school, right. Yeah, yeah. To do what he's doing. So yeah. he teaches us a lot in the Harvard business school way. That's amazing. So I'm expecting my, MBA from Harvard at the end of this. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I mean, but you're basically you know, getting it. I'm learning a lot yeah. of the of the business management organizational type concepts that I mean, I think I learned kind of intuitively from the leadership experiences that I've had over the years, but it's been really cool to get that directly from someone who, you know, he could be in in, in many other jobs around the world that would give him far more fame and money. Um, but we're able to learn from him and benefit from his skills in the church educational system. It's pretty awesome. Is there any so, particular lesson that he's given that's been helpful? Yeah, there's a, there's several. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's really been interesting is he likes to talk about how constraint creates innovation. Mm. And mm. I, I really love that concept. I've seen it in a lot mm. of ways. Um, but you know, that, that's important for every organization to understand, you know, what are your constraints? And instead of pretending they're not there, you know, innovating to be able to be excellent within those constraints. So he talks about that a lot. Um, also, you know, organizationally he talks about the balance between initiative and being deferential, mm, right? Mm, mm. So being, you know, creative and innovative and having a lot of initiative and balancing that with being able to have deference to 
the leadership whom that that you're under mm. who might have more perspective or more concept mm. of the strengths and weaknesses and constraints of your organization. So he he you know it's been really good for me because mm. I know those concepts from my scientific career, I've experienced them, but to learn about them in an explicit way from the business management perspective has been really cool and really helpful. And it's nice to kind of intentionally think about like, okay, you know, where am I at? I actually, I love the innovation within constraint. Like yeah, I took yeah. a job at BYU out of my postdoc and BYU is an awesome university. I love it. It is not a, like, it's not Washington university in St. Louis when it comes to research. Yeah. Right? And my, some of my, my advisor, some of my colleagues are like, dude, what are you doing? Like we groomed you to be the next elite Alzheimer's research scientist. You're going to take a job at BYU. Mm. Like that's a really bad idea. Like we're worried about your research future. Like those are the things that people were saying to me mm. um, because they, they knew there were constraints. And for me, I didn't think of it this way, but Elder Gilbert's helped me learn about it explicitly. But I looked at those constraints and felt like there were ways that I could innovate. Mm and mm. leverage other strengths. And those constraints actually led me down paths to do research that I never would have considered if I'd been at an institution that didn't have those constraints. So it's been fun to see. That's great. Yeah, you know, I've experienced those things and it's been fun to learn about them in a formal way from someone with so much formal business training and formal business experience. So, and that that's the beauty of all of this is that, you know, you, you're asking about kind of these examples and mentors, but Ultimately, you think about somebody like, say, President Eyring. Yeah. He's been associated with the church educational system for 42 years. Yeah. And before that was working in... Stanford. Yeah, other educational systems. Yeah. So you think about, like, as a university president, to go and have an officer of your board, and actually this applies to all of them, right? Yeah. Including our... General Relief Society president, our general young women's president, young men's president, presiding bishopric, all of these people, you know, I I know that they're prophets, seers, and revelators, and people who have been set apart and given you know revelatory privileges to help us do what we do. But the foundation for that revelation is also like sec experience that from a secular perspective mm. is elite. Mm right? Leadership credentials in yeah. so many fields and educational credentials and accomplishments that are, I mean, the list, if you were just trying to defend President Eyring as a officer of the board of trustees for a university from a secular perspective alone, it's off the charts, Yeah. right? Yeah. So we have this incredible opportunity in my role and even as a church to realize that we have these amazing people whose secular credentials are unquestionable, who also are willing to sacrifice everything and be humble and provide revelation through that incredible secular yeah. skill set, right? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And so yeah. for me, I'm just trying to be like capable of soaking <laughs> it all in, right? Like, yeah. can, I, can I learn the way I should be learning from so many amazing people that are sacrificed. Like yesterday, we had a meeting and I was able to sit with President Johnson from the General Relief Society, right? 
she's she's so awesome, right? So smart. And I brought yeah, up to yeah. her some of the different things we're working on, different challenges, and and her questions, you know, yeah. her her perspectives. Like it, it's just really amazing for me to be able to learn from people that have that so much mm. secular capacity. And then on top of that, have that humility and spiritual capacity. It's pretty amazing. So, wow. That's great. This yeah. is this has been an amazing experience. And I'm learning so much that I'm that I'm just gonna chew on for a long time. <laughs> I'm serious. Really, really. Yeah. Um, it's a unique opportunity. Anything that you would like any last words, any advice that you would give? Um, you know, I teach a class on my campus. Every single new student I, I teach. So I mm. teach two sections. There are block classes, but I teach every single semester. That's amazing. And I teach with my academic vice president. So a few semesters from now, every student on campus will have taken a class from me. Wow. And I'm not there every class period, you know, travel, things get crazy, but I'm able to spend a lot of time with our students. And we often, not every semester, because sometimes time constraints come up, but we we try to, in most semesters, we have an open question and answer session. Mm. And sometimes we do it live, and sometimes we have them submit questions beforehand. But they always ask, you know, what's your most important advice to us, right? If you could just tell us one thing, what would you tell us? Um, and so, you know, the first time they asked it, I was just on the fly, like, you know, what do you say? And <laughs> now I've thought about it a little bit more, but I, th I think that's, you know, probably something I wanted to share with you and and, the, and your listeners is, you know, for me, that one piece of advice that I give my students is basically Mosiah 241. Mm. Um, and I fell in love with that scripture, that verse, um, first of all, because King Benjamin is just the man. Right. <laughs> he really is. And, but I served my mission in Japan and I felt like when I read that verse in Japanese, the translation, the words, the vocabulary it used, it was just like, mm. for some reason, it just gripped me. I loved it. I love the way it sounds when you say it. Mm. I, lo I loved it. Um, and then, of course, you know, going back and it's a very, you know, oftenly cited scripture. Um, but I, I asked the students to read that verse and you probably know it. I can, yeah. you know, Mosiah 241, I've got it right here. Oh. Um, and I won't read it for you in Japanese because most of the people listening won't, <laughs> won't care maybe, but, uh, and we've all heard it a million times, but it says, and moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. Mm. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both spiritual and temporal. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God has spoken it. So my, when I, you know, I read that scripture to them and I just tell them, like, look, you know, when I was young, I read that scripture and I had faith that if I honored my covenants the best I could and weathered the storms of life, right, endured to the end, that I would have those blessings. And I've, I've experienced that, but I'm a scientist. So the N of one, <laughs> right, you can take that yeah, on faith, yeah, yeah. but it's still N of one, yeah, right? That's one yeah. sample. But now at this stage of my life, especially with the experiences I've had at BYU-Hawaii with our students, and some and visiting some of their home countries and seeing 
the church there, um, I, I feel like I can tell my students, like, look, the advice I have, know, know that you're a child of God, make covenants with him and honor them. Mm. It's, it's that simple. The scripture is true. I used to have faith in it. Dang. And I don't have faith anymore. It's knowledge. Like mm. those things, that's it. You do that, the balance, the momentum, the direction, the joy, mm. the capacity to weather the storms of life, you're gonna have it all. And it really is that simple. So to me, I just, you know, I'd want to share that the advice I give my students is those those simple things that are embodied by King Benjamin, who's my scriptural hero. That's amazing. In that one verse. Ah, so, so, so yeah. powerful. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Calway. This has been an, uh, been an honor. Um, I always end this way. I always say, I believe and I know what you say is true. Um, but I do, but it's up to you. That's up to us to find out for ourselves. Until next time. Hey, aloha. Ahuyo. Aloha. What's that one? Ahuyo. Ahuyo. Aloha. Ahuyo. Right? There you go. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, <laughs> thank, thank you so you. much. All right. Aloha. That was so powerful.